for many of us, we wonder about this question, is the Bible the Word of God? Yes. Okay. okay, so like a lot of people say that, but for many of us, we'll pound the pulpit hard, yes, the Bible is the Word of God, but the way that most of us treat the Bible, for those of us that are Christians, most of us treat the Bible like our crazy uncle. We really only engage with him at holidays, like Christmas and Easter. He says a ton of weird stuff, and we're generally embarrassed when our friends hear what he has to say. For many of us, we do not really treat the Bible as God's Word. We treat it like our crazy uncle. We know we're supposed to love him. We know we're supposed to, you know, believe in him. But how do we actually engage with the Word of God? And for those of us that aren't Christians, we're super confused as to why these Christians keep talking about the Bible as if it has some sort of authority or it's some sort of word from God, especially with all the weirdness that's in there. In fact, anyone who's given a, a, an overview reading of the Bible may find that it does sound an awful lot like a crazy uncle. And so uh, what we're going to do today is I'm going to approach uh, this question uh, in three parts. Number one is how we approach the Scripture or what we expect from the Scripture. Number two is how it is that we're shaped by the Scriptures, and that'll be more for the Christians in the room. And then finally, uh, how it is that we find God in the Scriptures. So how we approach the Scriptures, how we're shaped by the Scriptures, how we find God in the scriptures. Now, uh, in a minute, I'm going to read uh, 2 Timothy uh, verses, uh, excuse me, chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4, verses 5. That's 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 4, 5. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you uh, to turn there. <clears throat> There's this tradition that, uh, that you see in a lot of different uh, churches uh, where uh, someone will be up in front, they will read from the Bible, and at the conclusion, they will say something along the lines of, this is the word of the Lord. And then generally speaking, members of the so Christian people in the congregation, again, I know not all of us are Christians, uh, but Christians in the congregation who agree with that will say, usually they'll say things like, thanks be uh, to God. So the person would read from the Bible, they'd say, uh, thus saith the Lord, or this is the word of the Lord, and then the congregation would respond with, thanks be to God. And if you want to party, you can say it after I say this is the word of the Lord after I'm done reading 2 Timothy. If you want to get down, you could prepare yourself right now. I'm going to read the text, and at the end, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you want to party, you could say out loud, I know, out loud, you could say, thanks be to God, if you want. If you don't want to party, totally cool. Here we go. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. We're approaching this idea, what is the scripture? How do we approach the scripture? How we're shaped by the scripture? And ultimately, where we find, how we find God in the scriptures. Here we go. 2 Timothy 3, 12, uh, 3, 12 and on. Indeed. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions." And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth. But as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. And fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. You guys nailed it. Good job. Now that statement, this is the word of the Lord, many of us aren't so sure about that. In fact, we're not quite sure how to approach the scriptures. So I want to give you some things to think about. Number one, how we approach the scripture will inform and impact the end result. To put it another way, how we choose to approach the scriptures, what we think we're approaching, how we think we're approaching the scriptures, that will inform and impact how the scripture engages with me. It will inform the end result. If we approach the scriptures primarily as a moral code, we may find that we understand the moral code but find no power to live it out. We may find the Ten Commandments to be clear, but we may find them to be impossible if we approach the scriptures only as a moral code. If, on the other hand, we approach the scriptures as a series of inspirational quotes that we can put on Facebook and Twitter, and coffee mugs, and bookmarks, and bumper stickers, we may find that it seems inspirational, but like cotton candy, though it makes us feel good in the moment, there's really no substance to it. Third, we may approach the scriptures simply as ancient proverb, and we may be completely confused as to how to apply these proverbial statements to today. No, the scripture is much more than a moral code. It's much more than inspirational quotes. It's much more than ancient proverb. The scripture is the divinely inspired story of God written to his creation. In fact, the scriptures were woven together over the course of 1,500 years by over 40 different people. And given that reality, that over the course of 1,500 years, as as the scriptures were being woven together, and over 40 different authors, one of the things that's fascinating about the scriptures is the internal cohesion that you see. You see internal cohesion within the scriptures. That it is the word of God telling the story of God, not just to a select group of people, but to whom? To all people. It's the word of God to all people. And it is the story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. In the beginning, the book of Genesis says, God created the heavens and the earth. And the crowning glory of his entire creation is people. He says that people are made in the image and likeness of God. And we are created to be in union with our God and with one another. And then the second part of the story shows up in Genesis chapter 3. You have the fall. People made in the image and likeness of God chose to take God off the throne of our hearts and put ourselves in his place. This is the very heart of evil and sin, a heart turned inwards towards itself. And because of that cosmic rebellion, the earth is cursed and things are broken. But even in Genesis 3, God begins to hint at us that he is not done with us. Rather, though we are broken people living and propagating broken systems in a broken world, he will one day redeem that which is broken. 
Creation, fall, redemption. And on Easter Sunday, we, we celebrate the finished work of Christ in the redeeming of broken, sinful, rebellious humanity. And all who call on the name of the Lord are saved. Creation, fall, redemption. That's Easter. Now, at the end of the Bible, there's a book that makes us feel very weird. Some of us like to watch horrible movies about it. Others of us have charts. It's the book of Revelation. And you open to Revelation, and you're like, how did Harry Potter get in here? What is going on with these dragons and the crazy? But, at the, but let, me just, let me just cut to the chase about the book of Revelation. I know that there's a ton of weird stuff. I got you, fam. At the very end of the very last book of your Bible is Eden Restored. It's called the new heavens and new earth. And at the center of this giant city of God dwelling in unity with his people and his people dwelling in unity with one another, you have at the center of the city what you had at the center of the garden, the tree of life. It's the same story. We are a part of that grand and true story, and we currently, right now, live between the time of redemption accomplished and restoration anticipated. And in the middle, our job is to proclaim the good news of that great story so that when Jesus returns, all who call in the name of the Lord will turn, be redeemed, and be restored. That's the story. It is the story of God working through broken people, in broken systems, in a broken world, to bring about his ideal end. So that which is broken will be made whole. That's the story. Now, a few considerations as to how we approach the text. If it's true that that is what the scriptures are primarily about, what God is doing in the world, then we might come at it with some critiques. One of the critiques that I generally hear is, isn't the Bible just like other religious texts? How do we know which of the religious texts is the right one? Aren't they all the same? Let me just encourage you. You can actually discover the answer for your own self. You don't need to go to some blog at midnight when you're curious. You can actually do this right now. What you could do is read the scriptures and then read other religious texts, and then you can discern, is this saying the same thing? Now, for those of us that would like to take the fast pass to the answer, you could take, uh, you could, you could take uh, this uh, under consideration. As far as I could tell, no other religious text has within it the story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. No other religious text shows you the world as it actually is and gives you an answer to how we're going to get to how it ought to be. That's all I got for you. The Bible is not like other religious texts. Now, if not, chickity, chickity, check. If you go to the Bible, assuming that it is only a moral code, then all the other ancient moral codes will look similar to the Bible. Totally get that. If you think that the Bible is just a bunch of spiritual inspirational quotes, then when you go to other compendiums of spiritually inspirational quotes, you will find that they are similar, but friends, they are not telling you the same story. The Bible is not like other religious texts. Uh, number two, you know, a lot of us are frustrated that, God, that, that people were used in the creation of the Bible. I said that over 1,500 years, over 40 different authors, 
And in fact, many of us wonder how the Bible actually came to be, the collection of these sacred texts. You're never even going to guess. People were involved in the process. People were uh, putting these things together. And so I want to actually show you, while that may frustrate some of you, it should actually bring you peace. Here we go. God divinely crowdsourced the Bible. Which means, perhaps, and I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to give you my conjecture on this, okay? I'm just going to give you my thoughts on the matter. I'm going to step away from the text. I'm just going to tell you my opinion on the matter. If you're frustrated that God used fallible, broken people to bring forth his holy and divine word, my question to you is this. What is the other way? Well, one of the ways is that a, uh, a, a book or a tablet or something descends down from heaven in its completed form and is bestowed to a person who caught it. Right? You guys with me on that? And they said, no, we didn't write this. I didn't write this. It's straight from heaven. Now, given that we are broken people in a broken world, operating within broken systems, what might be the temptation of that person who received that divine text? What might be a temptation they might could have? Could the abuse of power be a temptation? You guys tell me. Actually, let me ask you this. Has there ever been a time, or could you ever even imagine a time, where a leader would use the Bible saying, this is what God says, to abuse and misuse people for their own personal ends. Could that even possibly ever maybe even happen? So you know that it is possible for a human to take a book or a tablet or something and say, this is from God, now do what I want. You guys with me on that? And so perhaps one of the reasons why God used so many different people and wove the Bible together over time is no one could walk around saying, I've got it. I got it. It's right here. This is the whole thing. See, when you crowdsource, the power is spread around. And so you have a decentralization of power with how the Bible came to be. That might be why he chose to do it that way. It may also be why we don't have any of the original manuscripts, because there may be a tendency within people to have an original manuscript and to elevate it as some sort of magical thing. Right? Like if I pray to the manuscript, if I just touch the manuscript, if I just lick the manuscript, then something magic will happen. Could that ever possibly happen within broken humanity, living in broken systems in a broken world? Could that ever possibly happen? That may well be why that exists. Uh, it, it may be why the, the scripture came to us in the way that it did. Uh, there was a movie about this, actually. Uh, did you guys ever see the Book of Eli? Denzel Washington, uh, I'm going to do spoilers, and if this is spoiling a 10-year-old movie for you, this is your fault, not my fault. <laughs> the Book of Eli, Denzel Washington, Gary Oldman, I think was the other actor's name, and uh, the, 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 the story basically is that it's post-nuclear um, holocaust, uh, the world is decimated, and Eli, namely Denzel Washington, has within his possession a book, hence the name of the movie, The Book of Eli. You guys with me so far? We good? Okay, you can find all this out on IMDb. So, uh, Book of Eli. So he's got this in his possession, and Gary Oldman plays a local dictator overseeing this region, and he's got all of his henchmen out looking for this book, this magical book, this powerful book, because he wants to use the book to manipulate and rule over the people. He says, if I could just get my hands on that book, 
The only one left, you see, because during the nuclear holocaust, all the copies of the spoiler alert, Bible was the book, all of the copies of the Bible were destroyed, and Gary Oldman was trying to find a copy of the Bible, not so he could himself grow closer to the Lord, but why? So he could abuse it and use it to rule over people. So it's possible that if there was just one copy, if God chose not to crowdsource, we might find that broken people would abuse it and use it as many of them do now. Now some of us say things like, well, the Bible's just dead wrong. The Bible's just wrong. It's wrong factually. It's wrong morally. And uh, I did want to mention, there's a ton of stuff that's uh, morally weird, and I would refer you to last week's sermon, which, by the way, you can find at that website, if you would like to look it up, it, it was a sermon called, Is God a Moral Monster? So I'm going to let you refer to that. Uh, what I want to say now, though, is this. Many of us say, well, the Bible is wrong factually. Okay, here we go. Oh, boy. Okay. There's this thing that I hear people say, and if you've said it, I don't want you to feel bad. I just want you to not do it anymore. Okay? I hear people say, I take the Bible literally. And I don't think, ugh, I get what you're saying, fam. I got you. I know I'm where you're at. But I want to just encourage you to not do that anymore because you might be misrepresenting what you're actually doing. And you actually don't believe that you take the Bible literally. I would encourage you rather to say, I take the Bible literarily because there are different forms, there's different literary forms within the scriptures. If you read Genesis and you read Psalms, one of the things that you'll notice is they're different. You all with me? Because they're different genres of literature. You have to know, as you approach the scriptures, you have to know what it is you're reading before you can truly understand. If I go to my car manual and expect that my car manual is a robust fantasy novel, will I be disappointed? Yes, I will. Will I misunderstand if, uh, how to operate my car if I go to Harry Potter and, and expect it to help me drive my car? Will I be disappointed? Yes, I will. You know, you see what I'm saying? So you have to go to the scriptures. You have to approach the scriptures in the right way. And here's the other thing, too, is you do not take the Bible literally. In fact, one of the statements about the word of God uh, in the scriptures is this, that the word of God is a double-edged sword. Is that true? No. The Bible is like a double-edged sword, able to cut through, right? The Bible is like that, but if you think that the Bible, that the Word of God is actually a sword, literally actually a sword, so if you said um, to uh, the person around you, you said, uh, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, would they be aghast if they were taking you literally? Would they be? And some of you are like, I don't know where I'm from, you know. (laughs) Mr. Ed's delicious. But for most of us, we would say, oh, this person is using hyperbole, right? So I'm going to take them literarily, not literally. And it may be that some of the things that you're frustrated with in the scriptures is you may be trying to take something literal that was meant to be hyperbole or literally. And the other thing, too, is in any artistic literature, you know that words begin to fail you when you're talking about the divine. So to say that God is a mother hen calling its chicks home to roost, God is not actually a bird. You guys with me on that? So we want to avoid the Bible. I take the Bible literally and rather say I take it literarily. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, I'm going to borrow, uh, this is from uh, an author that I really enjoy, and I'm going to borrow it, so I'm giving credit where credit's due. Never, ever, 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 ever read a Bible verse. 
Never, ever, ever read a Bible verse. Now, why would I say that? Many of us are looking at the tattoo on our arm, covering it over. Some of us are hiding that bookmark in our Bible or covering our coffee mug saying, now what's this guy going to say next? Hmm. Why would I say never, 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 ever, ever read a Bible verse? One of the reasons is because if uh, it can be taken out of context, and context is king to understanding, and you know this. Have you ever had a discussion with somebody who you have the discussion, it's a long discussion, maybe it's like 15 paragraphs, and then a week later they come back and they requote a sentence you said, but it is actually the exact opposite meaning of what you intended? Has that ever happened to you? See, they're quoting a verse. They've taken it out of context, and they're using it in a way that may be actually not what you intended it to be. You guys with me on that? Uh, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine, uh, his parents were uh, on a plane. They were ready to fly. Mom is super, super nervous about flying, so she turns to her husband and says, just give me something encouraging. Just look up, just look up a Bible verse. So he does the, uh, you know, the, the Bible roulette, like uh, opens it up, and what does he find? Well, he finds Obadiah 1.4. Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, <laughs> declares the Lord. Doesn't it just make your heart sing, right? Now, why was that not helpful? Because it is out of context and it's not applicable to that situation. You guys with me on that? So be careful when you, I think it's okay to have uh, verses and things like that printed as long as you're using them in context. Uh, as a minister, one of my greatest temptations is to use uh, the text out of 1 Corinthians, which talks about love is patient, love is kind. You guys ever heard that before? Yeah, that's in the context of church fighting, not in the context of marriages. Now, certainly, is there fighting in marriage? <laughs> you better believe there's fighting in marriage. <laughs> and so the text could be applicable, but you have to understand the context before you understand the verse. You guys with me on that? So be careful when you just go to a verse. God does not speak to us in verses. He speaks to us through this grand sweeping story that is the scriptures. Here we go. For those of us that are Christians, one of the things that we're asking is, how is it that the scriptures shape me? You'll see in the text, verse 16, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. Great, how does that actually work? Well, one of the things it does is it gives us guidance. And in light of this grand story, I would encourage you to consider every question that you have about decision-making, about guidance. One of the questions I would ask you to start with is this. In light of God's grand story, this good news, this gospel, in light of this grand story that I am a part of, how shall I now live? How shall I live now in light of this reality that God's created me in his image, but that I've rebelled and people have rebelled so things are broken, but he has redeemed me and one day he will restore all that which is broken. How right now in this moment should I live? And there, as we go to the scriptures, there are certainly things that are very clear. God, should I murder? No, very clear, very clear. Uh, people come to me for counseling. I'm really strongly considering uh, a murder. And I say, with all uh, frankness, no. First I ask, me? And then once we get that off the table, then I say, no. It's very clear in the scriptures, do not murder. Uh, 
Now, now I wanna, I'm going to get personal, and, 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 and I, I, I'm not making light of this. It's one thing to say, God, should I murder? But for many of us, that's not the question we're asking. It's do I take mom off life support? Do I do something proactive that may end a life? Do I give my kid this controversial treatment that may end in their death, but may end in their healing? And you go to the scriptures and it doesn't talk to us like that. It doesn't talk to us like the murder question there, see? But in light of this grand story, in complete and utter dependence, Lord, on you, help me. How shall I now live? And the Holy Spirit is alive within you, for those of us that follow Jesus. In fact, today, although we're not a liturgical church, today is the celebration called Pentecost. And during the celebration called Pentecost, one of the things that happens in the book of Acts is we see that the Holy Spirit of God descends on all who follow after Jesus. And God, his Holy Spirit, engaging with the scriptures within you, the spirit guiding you as you engage with the scriptures, will guide you. Tim Keller, who's a minister in New York, says this, for years I thought that God could be active in my life through the spirit, and that the Bible was a book I had to obey if God was gonna come in. Do you see what he's saying? He thought, I have to obey all the moral codes in the Bible, and then the spirit will come into my life. He says this, I now realize that the Bible is the way that through the Spirit, God is active in my life. He says this, I'll read it one more time. I now realize that the scriptures, the Bible, is the way that through the Spirit, God is active in my life. And so it brings us guidance. (laughs) And boy, do we need guidance. We We are in such desperate need of an anchor in a world of fake news, and your truth is not the same as my truth. By the way, any of us who are tempted to say that, you know, what might be right, it's the old different strokes theme song, right? What might be right for you may not be right for some. What's true for you may not be true for me. I tell you, if, you, if you're leaning into that and think that that's gracious, if you have neighbors who are cannibals, you need to worry about your worldview. Because if you truly believe that for me, it's not okay to eat my neighbor, but for your cannibalistic neighbor, you know, to each their own. (laughs) If that's what you truly think, if your cannibalistic neighbor invites you over for dinner, what are you going to (laughs) do? You have no moral grounds to stand on to say, please do not eat me. So you don't actually believe what's true for you is not true for me. There is absolute truth. You try living one day of your life not operating under the idea that there is absolutes in the world. There are absolutes. I'll prove it to you. Is there anything in the world going on right now that you think is not just bad advice, not just a bad, bad for business, but is wrong? If you think there's something going on in the world today that's just wrong, you believe in absolutes. So be careful. And the, the scripture guides us towards that. And moreover, it... 
convicts us. And this is something where we need to pray for wisdom and we also need to engage in the scriptures in the context of community. And just at the, uh, in August, we're gonna kick, on a church, uh, kick off a church-wide study in the Gospel of Mark. And one of the things that we're gonna encourage everybody to do is get with, another, uh, with some other people, maybe in a community group or a Bible study, discipleship group, does not matter, and read together. Because here's the jam. God is infallible, but you are not. God does not make mistakes, but you do. Right? I mean, anybody want to disagree with me on that one? Does God make mistakes? No, he does not. Do you? Yes. So could you ever, possibly ever, could it ever be conceivable that you might read the Bible and misunderstand what God's actually saying? Could that ever possibly happen? One of the ways that we protect ourselves against misunderstanding what God says is by reading the scripture in community. By the way, all, <laughs> all cults start with somebody reading the Bible by themselves. So just a little warning. <laughs> just a warning to you. And it's one of the things we talk about in our membership class, which, by the way, we have one today at 1230 out in the lobby. If you'd like to know more about what it means to be a member here at Desert Springs, join me there. We'll have some lunch for you. 1230 right there in the lobby is our membership class. But one of the things that you talk about is the value of reading a community because it not only guides us, it also brings uh, conviction. The scriptures hold up a mirror to our souls. <clears throat> I'm going I'm to use a, a, a religious word. It's called disciple. So in, uh, we are being discipled every day by a thousand pundits, promoters, and profiteers. We, every day, are hearing the voices we are being discipled by a thousand pundits, promoters, and profiteers, many of whom are confirming our prejudices and encouraging our selfish behaviors. And we need a word from the prophet, the priest, and the king. We need a word of conviction when everyone else around us is saying, you do you, cannibal neighbors, we need a word from the true prophet, the true priest, and the true king to say this is the way. By the way, if you don't think that conviction uh, is, can be found in the scriptures, read the Sermon on the Mount. If you read the Sermon on the Mount and feel smug and self-satisfied, you don't know how to read. God will use the scriptures and his Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures to bring about conviction. Moreover, not only does the scripture shape us by bringing guidance and conviction, it also shapes us as it calls us to worship and awe. The soaring language of the Psalms is untouchable because it speaks to a God who is infinitely good, merciful, gracious, powerful, and loving. How is it that the scriptures call us and shape us in worship and awe? It is because it points us to Jesus. How do we find God in the scriptures? You saw it in verse 17, or excuse me, verse uh, uh, 15, that it's through the scriptures that we are made wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The whole center of the story is Jesus. So let me get down to brass tacks. Is the Bible the word of God? Yes, I believe that it is. 
but you don't actually need to start with that question before you engage in the text. That, that's actually that's something that comes after. Rather, what I want to encourage you to consider is who is Jesus? Who's Jesus? I, I tell you this, uh, I'm going to co-opt a quote from, another, uh, from a great author. The reason that I trust in the scriptures as the word of God is because I find Jesus there. The center of the story is Jesus. And so my question to you is this. Do you find Jesus in the scriptures? A lot of people will start reading the Bible in Genesis. I would actually encourage you not to do that. I would encourage you to start in the Gospel of Mark, which is a study that we're going to do uh, in August. And by the way, um, I'm going to be posting a lot of my favorite uh, commentaries and suggested books and videos on that website. You guys can find that in your ministry guide, which is in the back of the seat in front of you, that little sermon resource book. I'm going to do that tomorrow for you because there's a, a lot of help can be gained as we do that, and we'll actually be posting uh, that tomorrow. So I encourage you to check that out. Why do we trust that the scriptures are the word of God? Because I find Jesus there. It is within the scriptures that we find our true prophet who proclaims the kingdom of God. It was within the scriptures that we find our totally devoted priest who is interceding and caring for us that we may have life abundant. It is within the scriptures that we find our benevolent king who is holding the cosmos together by the word of his power. It is within the scriptures that we find the ultimate host at the ultimate feast, who welcomes even sinners to his table and calls all nations to himself. It is within the scriptures that we meet Jesus, our loving friend who gives his life for us. It is within the scriptures that we meet our risen Savior who conquered over Satan, sin, and death, who stands victorious over the grave and gives all who call on the name of the Lord life and life abundant. You do not yet have to answer the question, what do I think the Bible is? First, you must answer, who do I think Jesus is? I trust the Bible as the word of God because when I read it, I find Jesus there. And Jesus makes the most sense of the world than anything else available to me. For those of us that are Christians, two things and then we will conclude. Number one, be wary of the sin hmm, of bibliolatry. The sin of bibliolatry. Worshiping the Bible over the one to whom the Bible speaks and points. There can be some of us within certain circles who know the scriptures front to back, can quote the verse. Actually, we would quote the chapter because you should never, ever, ever just quote a verse. And know the scriptures, but miss the Savior. There are many of us who are in love with the love letter and not the lover. Do you know how distorted of a relationship it would be if your lover wrote you a letter and you ignored the lover and focused solely on the letter they wrote? Is that messed up? That's messed up. It is good to study the word of God. It is good to be engrossed in the word of God. But if we forget the one that the scriptures are pointing, we're missing the point. I don't think most of us fall into that sin. I think most of us fall into the sin of apathy. We just don't care. We're distracted. We're frustrated by some of the confusing stuff in the scriptures. 
and frankly, like a gym membership, we know it's good for us, but we're going to do that tomorrow. And so I'd encourage you, in the chaos and the storms of life, you will find an anchor in Jesus, and you will find Jesus in the scriptures. I trust in the scriptures because I find Jesus there. Let me pray for us.